from Live Consulting, this is Cannabis Business Minds with your hosts, Kristen Yoder and Simone Similuka Radzins. All right, so for today's show, we're really focusing, it's just Chris and I on today's show, and we're really focusing on operations. It's just been the theme, it seems like, of 2017. We're launching our operational assessments. We've been helping clients improving their operations, and it's just one of the main things that we've been seeing. Um, I just released an article with Cannabis Business Executive about like four things that are really issues for when a, a company passes that startup phase and is actually operating. And it's all centered around operations. Exactly. And just for the record, we're not launching operational assessments we're launching a refined methodology that we have used from multiple companies that we want to roll out and really focus make that our bread and butter mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well and it's so funny because i mean so chris and i we've teamed up almost six months ago now and our whole background is that we come from operations and yeah it's exactly. so unique, though, because you come from cannabis operations, and I come from corporate operations. And they both have the same exact issues, which is what we want to cover on today's episode. Is, I mean, I thought she was totally out of my league, being from the corporate world and formally trained CPA, etc., but when we were sharing war stories about the different situations we've been through and the different companies that we've worked with, we realized that poor operational strategy or lack of communication between executives, management, and employees, or uh, poor systems implementation, technology implementation not being used correctly, mm-hmm. et cetera. We found that cannabis or not, operations is operations is operations. 100%. And it's, and it's really through our methodology that operations are underneath four pillars. And those four pillars really relate to uh, people, systems, strategy, and a lot of the time, especially in this case, it's inventory. Inventory is huge. Yes. I mean, it is the basis of your company. It has the most movement. And for any company that sells anything, it's money. Every single piece is money, and it's so easy to lose pieces. Yeah, I mean, like the whole concept of shrinkage in inventory and just like poor inventory management. But I think that's where we should probably begin this discussion along that, right? So, I mean, from your experience, you've been, a, you've ran a dispensary, you've overseen supply chain management, a huge manufacturing edible company. You know, I've dealt with inventory through working in this industry and through, you know, auditing a ton of companies in the retail sector and manufacturing sector. But like, what do you think the main issue is with them managing their inventory? The the first thing I think when it comes to managing inventory and having worked in California this entire time is mm-hmm. there's no regulation. Mm-hmm. And by that, there's no requirement for a company to invest in an ERP or to invest in any sort of technology to help it out. Or they use QuickBooks, Mm -hmm. but they're not using it for inventory purposes. Or they hire people that have never had an inventory job, Mm -hmm. have never had to do a physical count or recognize the value of a blind count or having someone checking in on their inventory levels. And 
inventory isn't just about what you have in stock. It's your purchasing. Mm -hmm. It's your selling. Mm -hmm. It's everything involved in the supply chain. Basically, it's the movement of your products. And I think some people, God, I hope that we're not like glazing people's eyes over when we're talking about inventory. But I think there's, when we when I think about the cannabis industry, and I think I always think about it as a supply chain. It starts with cultivation, where it's this little seedling, and then it grows into something more, and then it's blooming, and then you dry and you trim it, right? And then that's good. And so that in itself is inventory for a cultivator. And I think just from an accounting standpoint, and just from a theoretical standpoint, is like, at what point does that plant have value? And when is that truly inventory and for those regulated states that's the moment that it's a seedling right seed to sale seed to sale and that's where the whole concept of seed to sale tracking came involved but so i think that cultivators have different inventory management problems than manufacturers right absolutely and completely different than retailers and i don't know from your experience like I, I don't really think the mismanagement of inventory is at cultivation. I think it really is in manufacturing and also in retail. Like from what you've experienced, how do you think they're different? Well, consider the fact that you start with a plant and when you harvest the plant, mm -hmm. it goes from one weight to another weight. And then you've got your dried plant, then you have to trim it. Mm -hmm you're cutting off money. Every single time you trim your plant, that trim can then be used to make extracts or whatever. So then it comes down to proper storage and handling. I mean, what humidity levels are you keeping your trim or you're keeping your flower after you've harvested and dried it? Mm -hmm. Are you curing it correctly? I mean, some people use a lot of carbohydrates in the flushing part of the life cycle of the flower right before they harvest mm. to increase the weight of the plant. But I don't think that people outside of cultivation especially consider that weight is money. Yeah. And weight goes away. Oh, weight is 100% money in this industry. If you don't dry it correctly, then mm -hmm. you lose money. And if inventory seems boring to you, then just imagine a bunch of little dollars. Yeah. Tons of dollars. Dollars just disappearing or dollars coming back. It's like... To me, money, that matters. That's mm -hmm. not boring. Losing money sucks. How much time and money did you waste last year putting out operational fires? Getting your operations in check will save your company thousands of dollars. Contact us today at liv-consulting.com to schedule your free consultation. And this is beyond a penny, this yeah. is to the fifth decimal point. And where you realize the importance of having the correct unit of measure is if you're doing um, a monthly physical count. And especially for ingredients, it is a nightmare to do counts in kitchens. Things get wasted. I mean, you have some batter that's left on the pan that doesn't get counted if you mm -hmm. didn't have the right unit of measure. Mm -hmm. Every month, you're going to be trying to figure out, like, where is the stuff going? Off? And it might not be lost, and it might be lost, but how do you even know if you've got the incorrect unit of measure? Yep. And so I'm just imagining a listener, maybe my mom's even listening right now, and she's like, I don't get what they're talking about. So I think the key takeaway um, before we actually get into our break is going to be 
really understanding, okay, how can you take away what we just were explaining, unit of measure, whatever, it's understanding your supply chain, right? It's making sure from an accounting perspective, you've got, you know, purchase orders, that those are entered incorrectly into your accounting system, that you're able to monitor and track all of that. And then, as Kristen mentioned, it's about, you know, counting your inventory. It's about what a blind inventory count is versus an actual count. It's really making sure that somebody independent is counting exactly what's there in terms of work in progress, in terms of raw material, in terms of finished product and packaging. This is detailed. We should probably write a blog post a little bit more about it. Absolutely. But I mean, so from a manufacturing point, that's probably the biggest. Yeah, definitely. And you know, you can also work with your ingredient suppliers. I mean, unlike the cannabis industry, even in regulated states, they have to have a certificate of analysis before they send you any ingredients because you need to be able to trace all of your ingredients back. That if you had someone become ill or whatever, these companies are used to creating traceability. Yeah. So maybe you don't understand. Ask your suppliers. You're their customer, mm-hmm. not vice versa. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, before we move on from the inventory as one of the pillars of operational excellence, what's like one key takeaway or piece of advice from your experience that you would tell somebody to consider that's well, like, hey, I want to improve my operations. How can I better my inventory? The importance of a monthly count, a physical count, and making it a blind count, meaning you don't have any numbers to work off of. You go, you do your count, and then you go to your accounting system or whatever where the inventory is, and you compare the two. And when you have discrepancies between those two, you have to go back to each one of those ingredients and audit it. But if you're not doing a physical count, how do you know? You don't know. You don't and know what you don't you know. And if you don't do a physical count weekly or monthly and you do it quarterly, you are way far out when it comes to auditing and trying to figure mm-hmm. out where are these shrinkages coming from. Because it could be from employees. It could be from just poor, inaccurate record keeping. And it doesn't even have to be shrinkage. Sometimes you might have something, you'll have more of something than you do in your system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Explain that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Um, So that was like one of the pillars. So that pillar really is, I mean, we focus on inventory, but it's really process, right? So we look at, you know, your operational excellence around every process, but we've just seen that we're really focused solely on inventory because if you can't manage your inventory in this industry, Wow, it's going to be very hard for you to be viable for well, a long wait, time. And if you're wait out of compliance. Until you get audited. Exactly, and you're out of compliance. Yeah, and one other thing about inventory is inventory needs to specifically be the responsibility or, you know, of one or two or several people, but that is their responsibility and they are held accountable. Mm-hmm. Because if everybody is supposed to be keeping track of inventory, nobody's keeping track of inventory. No, totally. Totally. Yeah. All right, so then the next pillar. Though, also I would like to say in regards to inventory with flour, for instance, in California, there's the mountain pound versus an actual pound. Mm. So 448 grams for a pound of flour in California, Mm -hmm. a pound is 453.59237 grams. Down to the decimal. Yeah, well, you're going to need to know that when you become regulated. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So what if you have your bud tenders weighing out 
every time a customer comes in and they want to order something and they're weighing it out on a scale in front of those people, I guarantee you they're going to make an A 3.6, 3.7 because the consumer is going to be looking at the scale. Mm -hmm. They're going to be like, oh, you know, those stems or the shake or whatever. Mm -hmm. Can you give me that, bud, et cetera. I mean, 0.1 gram, that adds up no, throughout that totally the day. Is. And then how do you rectify it? And question to our listeners, like, if you're interested, go and post into our LinkedIn group, Cannabis Business Minds, like, what do you prefer as, you know, a retail customer? Like, would you prefer, because we, we foresee it going into a prepackaged, you know, type of environment. A lot of our clients are trying to get to that way. We see farms being branded more and all of that. But as a consumer, is that something that you would like or dislike? And, you know, from each state, how's that different? Oh. And I just remembered one other example people hmm. need to keep in mind is when you're working with an extract to do your edible manufacturing, mm -hmm. generally when you receive it, it still needs to be decarboxylated. What's that mean to those people who are like, what's that mean? So there's THCA, which when the cannabis is growing, in order to activate the THC into THC, when you smoke it, it's that heat and that changes the... THCA into THC, which is the active state. Well, in an edible, because you're not lighting it yourself, you have to activate the concentrate to put into your edibles. So when you do that, you mm -hmm. lose a specific amount of weight from when you first bought it. But mm -hmm. not only that, it doesn't even matter about the weight, it comes down to the potency. So then you have to convert the weight of your concentrate into how many milligrams of active THC are you working with? That's I mean, so complicated. Yeah, there's a lot of ways for your inventory to get off and concentrate, extract, whatever. Alone, that's $10 a gram, $7 mm -hmm. a gram, and it's sticky. So maybe you've got like one or two grams stuck to the bowl that it came to you on, and then how much you lost. What if you overcooked it? Mm -hmm. You know, then you're losing more, or you're destroying the THC and turning it into CBN. So you definitely need to be aware that it's so much more than weight, especially when it comes to concentrate. So if you're an edible company, I'm sure you're aware of this. And if you're not, you should contact us for an <laughs> operational assessment. Yeah, no, totally. Check out our website. With that said, www.live-consulting.com. Also, if you're an edible company that's doing it right and you want to sponsor this show, uh, reach out to us at yeah. info at live-consulting.com. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're really trying to engage a little bit more our listeners in all of this. Yes. I mean, because we are going about it from ways that we've been able to help our clients and try to give some tips but really if you're listening and you have a suggestion or you think you have a best practice that you want to share we'd love to you know put you on the show or read a little bit about you know what you have to offer so as Kristen mentioned like definitely shoot us an email and then our LinkedIn group um, but yeah I mean inventory to me is just so significant as it relates to this industry but before we go to the other three pillars I mean I just want to mention it's all processes, right? So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's talking about cash management, fixed assets, uh, how you recognize revenue, how, yes, how you manage your inventory, your equity. It's like if you think about your entire business and you nail it down by the different processes, purchasing and payables, uh, 
it's everything. You need to have something refined uh, that you are reviewing on a con like on a constant and continual basis to make sure that it's good. And uh, yeah. and with that said, a lot of these cannabis businesses think that they're like the first type of business out there, mm -hmm. but no, it's called supply chain management. Yep. This is a very established methodology yep. that's used in every sort of industry out there. Because like with inventory, there's mm -hmm. also the purchasing, you know, there's reorder points anticipating when you're gonna run out of yeah. something. These Absolutely. are all important to keep in mind. And I think, you know, our methodology focuses around like, what's the root cause of this problem, right? Like, why are people having an issue with inventory management? And that probably gets us to the next few pillars. To me, I mean, I don't know, Chris, I don't know, what, what do you think the root causes of poor inventory management? I don't want to say people first, because I don't think it's people's fault if they don't know what their job is mm -hmm. or what they're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. I also think that it's a process, yeah. it's a system it, issue. Exactly, so it's so crazy how I think our methodology works is that they're all interrelated, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a root cause of inventory management that's directly probably related to A, is the system working, the technology, right? So that's one of our pillars. And are the people understanding what they're supposed to be doing and are they accountable? And were the people that were hired for the position that are doing their job qualified? Do they know what they're doing? Do they have any sort of training? Do you offer them training? Do they have any sort of support? Yeah, and so that's what we uh, that's what we do for uh, people management, which is our next pillar. But right now, we're going to take a break from one of our sponsors. When was the last time you examined the health of your company? Visit our website at liv-consulting.com to learn more about how an operational assessment can increase your revenue today. All right, so we're back. Um, hope you enjoyed that from our sponsor. Um, so as we mentioned before the break, people management. Um, so one of the things that we got from our you know, very, very different backgrounds was one very similar thing, and it was the RACI chart. I couldn't believe that you knew about it. Yes, RACI, which is R-A-C as in cat, I, and that stands for Responsible, Accountable. Consulted. And. Informed. Informed, yes. And I've never met a company that's used this before, but I've never met a company that couldn't benefit massively by this. Because what you do is you look at all of the tasks that need to be done, and you have all of the employees that are there. You need to think, who is responsible for handling this task? Mm -hmm. Who is held accountable for that task? It's not always the same person. Generally, the person accountable is the manager of the person that's responsible. But also, who needs to be consulted when there's an issue with the task? Mm -hmm. And who needs to be kept informed if there is an issue, mm -hmm. it's so important because so many employees don't even know who to ask mm -hmm. when they have a question, nor do they know who who knows in the company what to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, this whole concept of corporate governance and really defining roles and responsibilities for Sorry everybody in the company is something that so many of us fail to do. And I, I realized though, I mean, as a startup, as us running our own company and also consulting, I understand. I mean, it's very hard when you are running 
at 150 miles per hour and you're trying to meet sales objectives and you're trying to push your product and you're trying to you know wear many hats as a business owner but notwithstanding like maybe if it's just two people you don't need to have a race seat but the moment that you add on add on people that are helping you accomplish the same goal which probably your company mission and why you even exist that's when you really need to start really defining this because it's going to help you really with your strategy. I mean, we even talked about it today, like, okay, let's make sure that our roles and responsibilities as business partners are easily defined and that they're different because if we're doing the same thing, we're not really accomplishing our end goal. Exactly. It's so important for people to know what their job is. I've I've yet to go to a company or to have worked with a company where each person that got hired had established roles and responsibilities given to them upon being hired. They don't know what they're supposed to do. They get hired for inventory, but they're I mean, answering sales it. calls. Yeah, it's and that's another thing with having a lean startup is mm-hmm. everybody ends up doing a bunch of things that they weren't hired for that they might not know what they're doing and the key to scaling mm-hmm. is to have a solid operational foundation because it will decrease the confidence in every single new hire when their manager doesn't know who's supposed to be doing what. Yep. Well, it's really interesting. I've actually been seeing it evolve in some companies where it was the startup and it was so creative and everybody loved what they were doing. And then the company gets bigger, right? They get more clients. It becomes more corporate. And the people that were originally there, maybe they actually still understand their roles and responsibilities. And maybe it's even been niched out a little bit more, but then they're feeling like this this corporate beast. They don't like it. What, what, attracted them first, that initial creativity, probably to get them so big, is now gone. So it's so interesting. See, I haven't seen that, where people might think like, oh, corporate, whatever, but I find that any anybody and everybody enjoys a little structure, because if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, progress Absolutely. stops. So when you're growing and you've got to start training people, it is so helpful. It Mm -hmm. takes so much stress off of you when you actually have a process to teach them so that you can scale and that you're not compounding these operational inefficiencies Mm -hmm. until you've got a huge company where you're completely putting out fires 24-7. You're making the money. You're making a ton of money, but your bottom line could be way bigger because of that. How much are you spending on inefficiencies? And how many people are you hiring and you're not even using them to the best of their ability? Mm -hmm. That's money lost. Okay, so before we move on to our next pillar, let's think about what can we recommend? Uh, I recommend standard operating procedures. And... They're painful. I don't. I have yet to meet anyone who enjoys making a standard operating procedure. Yeah. But one of my favorite quotes by the esteemed Dr. Oh, Deming yep. is, "If you can't explain what you're doing in a process, you don't know what you're doing." Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that is so true. It's it really is, and like it doesn't need to be so daunting. Like I, I mean, from working in internal operations especially for public companies, they have a lot of crazy controls. Controls that I would never even want in our company, right? But because of Sarbanes-Oxley, all of the frauds with the Enron, WorldComs, whatever, they're mandated to do so uh, by the government. Um, and that's like, oh, I need to have a written approval for this. That, But 
there is so much importance to having that structure, to having those processes, to having an approval in, in place and having, um, you know, a purchase order and all of that. So it's very true. It's like, as Kristen mentioned, you have to define your process. I think my like key takeaway though, for those people that are wanting to figure out how they could, you know, strengthen that one pillar, which is people, I would say, go look at, go look at, do an inventory of your people and understand what are they doing and under and ask them what are what do you think your roles and responsibilities That's are huge. if you just did that question yes questions they're oh, yes. so helpful oh questions are everything like if you can at the same time mm -hmm. it is so much easier when you have an objective third party questioning all of your employees yeah. because employees are not going to be forthcoming with the corporate or the executive people or the people, they don't feel relate to them whatsoever. In, unless it's already been instilled in the culture. And so if you're starting out and if you are, you know, thinking about starting a business, right, and you're listening to this, then utilize this and start building that tone at the top. Like you created your company mission, your company goals, and start instilling that, instilling like meeting times, best practices, and checking in with your employees. Transparency. Mm-hmm. Transparency. And, you know, let me just remind everyone, I know I'm sure you're so enthralled you forgot who you were listening to. <laughs> But this is Cannabis Business Minds Podcast, and we would love it if you subscribed so that we could give you more value-added information every week. You can go to iTunes and subscribe. You can go to our website, liv-consulting.com slash podcast, mm -hmm. and you will find all the information that we have given you now, as well as our archive of all our past episodes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I know we're giving you a lot of call to actions, uh, but hopefully it can actually help you with your business, because that's Absolutely. why you're listening. Yeah. Yes. No, totally. Oh, but it was funny. I actually, the first podcast interview um, that I did was with Jenny Germano. Jenny, if you're listening, hello. Um, she specializes in compliance, and now she's like doing build-outs and all the stuff and she told me that she got a client from Norway from the podcast absolutely so I mean we clearly have like an international community listening which is fantastic um and hopefully all of you listeners can probably add something to one another yes Okay, so yeah so people management I think really it's defining also the culture of your company I right before we move on like so we talked I mean, about beside Culture, yes. What I think is so paramount, and it was something we had to work on, and mm -hmm. this is what we do, is what's the mission of your company? You know, if yeah. the people who start the company don't have a mission, how could anyone you hire know what the mission is? Mm -hmm. And to know what the mission of your company is in general gives you a sense of direction, and it gives everybody the ability to know what they're doing has an effect or that they are all part of something. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a clear defined mission, then each person's only gonna have like their lowly position that they're doing, mm -hmm. but they won't be able to see their piece in the greater picture. And if there's one thing we've seen with operational assessments, mm -hmm. every single person in the company matters. Oh God, yeah. Everybody plays a part. And it's people, I mean, The yes. more they know their part, 
the better the company will be because everyone can see where their efforts are going and when their efforts are lacking, mm -hmm. then it's obvious. Oh, 100%. I think about it, like, let's just give an example of, like, maybe a retail-based company or even our company, assuming we have, like, 20 more people, right? We make sure that everybody knows what we're about. We have a, an onboarding program. We have our own code of conduct. We have our mission, right? And we want everyone to know what we're doing. So if we have an employee that is at a mixer or at a regulatory meeting and they're like, oh, who do you work with? Or who do you work for? Oh, I'm part of Live Consulting. Oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm an accountant. No, you're yeah. beyond an accountant. You work for a company that helps other companies increase their bottom line. So it's very important as you build and grow your business that you get everybody on board in your company on that mission. We all want to feel important. We all want to feel important. And it's so crazy because the cost of a disgruntled employee. Ooh. In the cannabis industry. Especially in this industry, it's insane. I mean, I think we talked about it in our first podcast, but the raids that have happened, um, the raids that have happened. In California specifically. Yeah. A lot of them have been related to disgruntled 98% disgruntled employee. You know, I mean, A, this is why it's important to hire good people in the first place. Because, mm -hmm. you know. Get the best people on board still first. still federally illegal to do this. But even in a gray state like California, all they have to do is go tell the police some lie about your company and your location is blown. Whatever. Even if you are sticking with the regulations of wherever you're at, mm -hmm. they can make up something else. And it's up to the police. I mean... You're guilty until proven innocent, let's be honest, when it comes to code violations. The police don't come in and make mm. sure you're operating correctly before they raid you. I mean, but then this is like, I think the biggest difference between you and I, I think a disgruntled, I think about it just from corporate world, right? Like I think about a disgruntled employee, what can they do? They A, can be very inefficient. You're paying them for eight hours, they're doing one hour of work, right? There's, you didn't implement performance uh, reviews, you don't have a way to truly get fire them if you're not per annually uh, assessing their performance. But more importantly, guys, we're still talking about that first thing, inventory, shrinkage, discrunt, theft, fraud. Like this is what I've seen in my tenure is that most of the frauds are occurring A, because you don't have really tight enough processes. So around like the financial reporting area, uh, inventory management, purchasing, payables, all of that. So that disgruntled employee, wow, you pissed off the warehouse manager because you didn't, who knows? I mean, why are people getting pissed off? They're getting upset because of well, they not feel feeling recognized. For granted. Not feeling recognized. Exactly. You're right? They don't even know. I mean, also, a lot of times the employees and the owners don't speak, you know? Yep. And really, it's the employees are your front line They're of your, your company yeah. they mean everything and if they don't feel heard and they get disgruntled another thing is you know morale oh god morale is contagious and you have one poisonous person and your whole company is at risk because when people get depressed and then they're just People get into the habit of making complaints and never thinking of solutions yep. it's so easy to complain that if it feels like it doesn't matter doesn't mm -hmm. matter what we do. Everything we do, like, no one even notices. And if you're not doing your inventory counts on a regular basis, you're not going to know you're getting robbed. Yeah, exactly. Until, until like, it's you way too fire hard. the people. And then you're like, wait, I have more inventory. Or you're like, oh, my God, like, when did all this go missing? But I think this, it's a little bit of a tangent, but 
what makes me sad is like I couldn't imagine not liking my job right and like that's so sad like I enjoy it we work a lot I enjoy every hour of working right and maybe it's because we're we're, we're doing what we love. We're doing what we love. And we want to make sure that all of our employees feel that way. Exactly. And that they have that incentive to be able to achieve, if it's a monetary goal, through commissions, through a variable uh, scheme uh, to help us build our business, to have them build it as well. But we, I mean, the whole point is whatever industry you're in, your employees are the bottom, are, are really contributing to your bottom line. Yeah. And I always talk about this book. I don't know if you've read it yet. The Advantage? Mm-mm. I mean, he goes in um, to really analyze, like, what's the difference between, like, really healthy organizations? And you can be a very smart organization. Imagine, like, you know, understanding, like, best CPA firm, best analytical firm, best supply chain management. But if the people aren't healthy... That's where the issue is. The culture. And the culture. And there's politics in it. And it's not healthy. And meetings. Nobody listens to the leader. Like, everyone disregards that information. To me, that's the issue. And I've also found just a simple question when you hire someone is, what do you want to do in five years? How can we help you achieve what Mm -hmm. you're looking to do within our organization? Mm Mm-hmm. If people feel like you're invested in them, they will invest in you. Yeah. And I mean, also at that same token, realizing what labor and, you know, what roles maybe are just for three years, right? And developing the strategy behind that. Yeah. I think that's it. I mean, I'd love to hear if there's like button tenders listening, like, what do you think your development is? Is it to be the dispensary manager and then what, right? So it's really developing that clear line. Absolutely. All right. So we talked about process, which was inventory management. We talked about people. Um, what should we do? Systems or strategy? Strategy. I think strategy because mm-hmm. with startups, they have an idea. They have very little people. They get going. They have this momentum. Your strategy has to change. Yep. It doesn't stay the same. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Strategy is fluid. Mm-hmm. You, know, you need to have your basic tenets, your goals, your mission. But you have to adjust your strategy for the market, whatever is going on there, if something's going on internally, if your competitors are doing something different. Your strategy has to be Mm -hmm. clear, alive, being checked Alive. You know, your strategy is living. Is it strategic? No, totally. I mean, is, is there a strategy behind your decision? And that sounds so, I'm so cold right now. I don't know why I'm freezing. It's we're in California. It's like what, sixty-five degrees? Yeah, I'm totally not. I'm like cold, I'm like in so my leather coat, like huddled, chilling. If I, you hear the squeaking, it's me. It's the dead cow on her. <laughs> yeah, no, mm. I'm I'm oh, I'm freezing. No, no, no. That's my leather coat. Sorry. Um, but I think when we talk about strategy, it's more than just like, oh, what's your strategy? No, what's your strategy with sales? What's your strategy with business processes? What's your strategy with people? It's a lot of things, but I guess when we're talking about revenue, that should be it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what is your strategy for, you know, go to market, but what is your strategy to get that new product line into how many of, you know, your target retail shops by what time, right? So strategy could sound high level. So like, to me, this is, a bad strategy. Uh, I guess it's like almost like a vision to a uh, mission as well, but like 
so Kristen, you're like, oh, what's your strategy? My strategy is to be the number one retailer in Southern California. A, that's kind of like a mission statement. Yeah, it's not a strategy. No, but it's not a strategy. No. How could my strategy be better? First of all, who's the demographic that you're going after? Have you done a competitive analysis? Mm-hmm. You know, have you thought about distribution? Have you thought about taxes that you have to deal with? Mm-hmm. Have you thought about, you know, what your company's customer service is going to be like? How do you deal with things? You know, what is your online strategy? What is your marketing strategy? Mm-hmm. You it's can't... it's so complicated. Yeah, and, and then, it's essential. It's essential, and then you have to dissect all of those down even further. It's like, okay, so then what's your marketing strategy? Okay, my marketing strategy is to utilize seven different outlets to communicate to my avatar, which would be like your target market, but each of those outlets will be different and each of those probably will require a different strategy. Yes. I mean, if you could see what I'm trying to draw out, it's like, what is that called when you do lines and then you just do multiple lines? It's like a A crazy- A mind map? Maybe it's a mind map. I don't know. But it goes very deep. And I guess the whole thing when you're developing your strategy, like a key takeaway, I guess, is what do you want to accomplish, right? So like, what are your goals? How are you going to get there, right? Implementation. And how are you going to implement it? Who do you need to help you implement it? How long is it going to take? What are the risks associated with it? I mean, it goes down and down and down. So really, I mean, when I'm talking about it, I'm like, maybe. It's the skeleton of your business straight up. Like you, anyone can have an idea. Anyone can have a strategy. It's the execution Mm -hmm. of the strategy. You know, and it's, I mean, execution is everything, mm-hmm. but if you're executing without a strategy, mm-hmm. you're just going to waste a ton of money, time, employees. Mm-hmm. You're going to drive people crazy. Employees really notice when you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Because they start, like, running around in circles, and it doesn't feel good. Well, not only that, but it'll suck off your cash, right? I mean, exactly. so then that's, to me, at the very beginning of this conversation, about, like, 80% of startups failing which apparently, according to Expert Dojo, is 97%, dude. In the cannabis industry. No, no, that article was just, he said all starts. This guy, uh, we'll put it in the show notes, um, runs an accelerator called Expert Dojo outside of, in in Santa Monica, like on Third Street Promenade, and he was quoted in an article, a few articles, stating that, um, we should get him on the show, stating that um, 97% of startups fail. And I guess we wouldn't know about those 97% because they fail, so. And so that's crazy, and that's what I was writing in the article, is like, let's make, let's change this. Like, that's why we're having this conversation, is to get you to think beyond this, like, you know, three-month period or the before your product launch. So, as you mentioned, strategy is multifaceted. You just heard us go down the rabbit hole of questions you needed to be addressing in your strategy. But the other parallel, I don't know what graph this would be, is what's your three-month strategy? What's your six-month strategy? What's your year? What's your five-year? What's your 25-year strategy? Are you in this to just exit in 10 years? Are you in this to build a sustaining business? Like, these are things that a lot of people aren't really thinking about, I don't think. No, especially in the cannabis industry because people are like, I'm going to quit my job in the formal business world and I'm going to do something I love or something that has saved my mom from cancer Mm -hmm. or whatever Mm -hmm. is something where you're approaching it emotionally 
Or maybe you're not taking it as formally as you should, but a business is a business is a business, whether mm-hmm. it be cannabis or multinational corporations, yep. that if you want to succeed, you must have a plan, mm-hmm. a strategy, and to execute the stra- stick to your strategy as well if you created one until you need to change it. Exactly. I was going to say until you've realized, hey, it's not working, right? You need to reevaluate, especially up in this, like, these first years of operation. Wow. I'm sure you probably could be making more money than you are right now. by Absolutely. By changing maybe how many products that you have, by by changing, you know, how you're delivering your products, by changing maybe looking at different revenue streams that you might not even have thought about. Really interesting thing before we take a break uh, to hear one of our sponsors. Um, The toilet was invented a long time ago, right? Toilet paper was invented hundreds Uh, of years after. But the point to this is that, you know, you might have a great idea, but you might even have a better idea if you analyze it a little bit more. Like, you, you always say, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, it's totally true. So innovation is key at this moment. And it can be really difficult to innovate when you're in the full swing of things and you're just trying to move forward. <laughs> yes. Right? So, well, before we take a break, what do you say to that? Stop. Stop. For Take a day and reevaluate your strategy. Look into it. I mean, another thing is key performance indicators are so helpful when it comes to checking your strategy. I mean, if you don't have a way to track the effect of your strategy or the results of your strategy, then how do you know where the weakness in your strategy is? Yep, and we'll talk about the key performance indicators right when we get back from our break. Okay, so key performance indicators. K-P-I's. I love them. And I say them all the time. It's not a common phrase. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's not. It's not common in the cannabis industry. It's not a type of thing you eat or inhale. It's... But I know, okay, but I don't think it... I mean, in successful organizations, yes, it is common. And so for those people who are just returning to cannabis business minds, this is what a KPI is. It's a key performance indicator. That means you can assess something. Normally it's like a financial metric, but it also can be something that's non-quantitative. So something qualitative as well that you can use in your business to see kind of how healthy you are. Right. And so I don't know, maybe we could go down with some of our favorite KPIs are, or maybe we break it down by sector of what they should be looking at. Um, well, first, I guess when we talk about inventory, your inventory turn, how how often are you, Shrinkage. you know, turning your inventory? What's your shrinkage percentage, right? So how much inventory are you unaccounting, you know, that's unaccounted for? There's variances in your accounting records versus your actual um, counts. So those are two that relate to inventory. So that was inventory turn and then your shrinkage percentage. Um, oh, one of my favorite yeah. KPIs I find to be really informative is what is your employee turnover rate? Yep. And I say this because, A, if you don't have an employee turnover rate, you're probably carrying dead weight. And mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but if no one ever gets let go, then what's the incentive to do your best, to work your hardest? Because there will always be somebody, especially if you've been operating for a year or two, 
Mm-hmm. That's not living up to their fullest potential, especially if there's no performance indicator to see if they're doing what they should be doing. Exactly, right? So that was like inception of KPIs. Like, A, you should have a KPI to monitor how healthy your attrition rate is so for your employee turnover, right? And then your employees need KPIs themselves, as we were talking about in that people management strategy, is like, so you can assess how well they're doing. Well, and... So you are either letting, not having people leave. Because they're doing great. Yeah, or you have a high turnover rate because you're not paying people enough money to want to stay where they're at. You're not keeping people motivated. Or you're not managing well. No, not at all. So if you've got people leaving all the time, every single time you have someone that's been there for a bit of time, they're taking processes with them. They're taking knowledge that mm-hmm, is important to your company with them, especially if they didn't start where there was a sales, you know, an SOP in the first place. Mm-hmm. If there is no standard operating procedure and it's on the employees mm-hmm. to keep things running and then that employee leaves, oh, yeah. where's the information? Like, they just took it, yeah. you know? And the more turnover you have, the less and less quality you're going to have in your system, whatever systems there are. No, but that's totally true. And I hope that this is, you know, as listeners, what you can kind of digest from this conversation is that all these pillars are directly related, right? I mean, if you don't have processes and you don't treat employees well, there's issues of people management, if a person leaves, the process is gone. And I think that a lot of companies actually... You know, I think the difference between like a mom and pop shop, for example, you and I, we run this business, we're instilling processes that, you know, later on someone else can run our business, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what I think business owners should be also thinking about is like, what happens if I leave? Like, what's the succession plan, right? And succession planning is a completely different episode. Yeah, at one of my previous jobs, a common saying was, what if you got hit by a bus and died? Then what are we going to do? And I was extremely valuable. I mean, I held, like, the keys to a ton of things, and that's a really good point because yep. when you lose those people for whatever reason, what if they found another job or something, mm-hmm. you've lost a ton. You've lost more than an employee. You've lost a ton of money. You've lost efficiency, which equals money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and then you've got, how are you going to train the new people? Exactly. And so I think that's an important uh, takeaway before we go to, like, just managing systems and not having them manage you um, is really focusing on how you can look at operations and see the value that you're losing or you're gaining by increasing operational efficiencies. Like, you know, seeing that disgruntled employees or poor people management could actually cost you much more than an employee's salary, but perhaps, you know, thousands of dollars, tens to thousands of dollars, um, that's where, you know, as a business owner, you really should be focusing on. Mm-hmm. All right, so the last pillar, technology, systems. Mm, Yes, technology, the bane of some people's existences Mm -hmm. and the backbone of most companies' existences. Yeah, I mean, we saw it, you know, where systems and technologies failed the cannabis industry. MJ Freeway. Yeah, yeah. Ouch, ouch a lot. I mean, people shut down, like, you know... There was a time before MJ Freeware, a POS system, was even used, mm-hmm. 
people were able to go on, you know, but when you've got regulations and you're getting audited, mm-hmm. like, by the state to the tiniest degree, yeah. you know, you have a system go out and you don't have a backup plan? Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the whole point. And, like, MJ Freeway has, like, you know, re, you know, re, not refixed, but they've, like, fixed this. They've mitigated the issues. They switched to a new server. They got hacked, right? And I used to work in IT. It's essential that you have a backup system. So if you're working on an automated technology, whether it's, like, point-of-sale system, inventory management, um, your accounting system, whatever, what's your strategy? What's the process? What's the plan if you get attacked? You know what I mean? If you, you know, if you get hacked, what is that plan, right? So technology, uh, if we rely on it so heavily, like today I was, you know, streaming a live session and the internet didn't work and we didn't have a backup plan. Um, So it's really important to, you know, understand the technology systems that you're utilizing, utilizing them, A, to its efficiency, B, if you have, you know, an issue, what's your manual process, right? That's, to me, so significant. Yeah, you should have a process that ties in with your technology. Mm-hmm. Because... Coupled, yeah. Yeah, power outages. I mean, I don't know, dispensaries lose a ton of money in one day of not operating. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just... it's unacceptable to not have a backup plan. Yep. And then, and before we wrap up our podcast, because we're actually almost out of time, um, it's really also important to think about the benefits of technology, right? Like maybe that Excel spreadsheet is, you've passed that stage and you really need to focus on a different system. And so we'll probably dedicate a whole podcast to, you know, what systems that we like uh, for, you know, business decisions, our customer relationships, um, marketing, all of that, but really understanding how technology can save you money in your business, how it could automate processes for you so you can, you know, reduce your labor expenses, reduce other expenses while also relying on it. So, I mean, with the negative that we kind of introduced this to of always having a backup plan, yes, you always should, but realizing that, you know, your success as an operation really will be driven upon technology as well. Well, and correct implementation of your technology because just as helpful as it can be if you haven't set your technology up correctly, yep. then you're going to spend so much time troubleshooting it Ex- that it, exactly. it becomes a pain point for everybody. Mm-hmm. And then everyone hates Doesn't it. use it. And then nobody trusts it. And then how are you tracking anything? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And then the last thing about technology is just to understand, like I'm just coming at it from like a business fraud perspective, who has access to the technology, Mm -hmm. who has access to approve, who has administrative access. Like that's so important to get a firm grasp on of like segregating those duties, even if you're physically segregating it for cash and inventory, but you're also looking at the IT controls that are related to. Yeah, you need to be knowing who had access to what, who's been touching what. Mm -hmm. How much information can they see from your company? Exactly. I mean, it's all so important. Absolutely. So, I mean, to recap this, we think as operational experts in our own form that there's four main things that you need to worry about to instill operational excellence into your organization. 
Yes, so that's your inventory. Well, it's your process, and we your, focus on yes, inventory yes. so much because that to us right now is the biggest process if you are dealing in cannabis that you need to focus on. So inventory, yes, and process is the umbrella, right? So the process and inventory. Yes, people, people management is key, is so important. You know, you as a person started your company as long as you're happy, mm -hmm. your company should be happier, keep your people happy, everything will be happy. Absolutely. And this is like not in any particular order because we find that they're all interrelated. Absolutely. Next one, strategy. If you don't have strategy, what are you doing anything for? And if you're not adjusting your strategy... For market changes. Yeah, you, you need to. Yep, yeah. you, you definitely need to. Yes. And the last one... Technology. Technology. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the biggest things, uh, it can make or break you. And managing technology and not letting it manage you is the last operational pillar that we think. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. All right. I what think a, that was a great conversation. That was such a good one. Yeah. yeah. So, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Cannabis Business Minds. Like, please, we want this to be an open dialogue. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you have any tips on operational excellence, as we've discussed it, please shoot us uh, a note in our LinkedIn group, Cannabis Business Minds. Look us up on www. I think that was too many W's, liv-consulting.com. Uh, and, you know, subscribe to the podcast. Yes. And I know you hear it all the time from any podcast, but please feel free to leave us a review and help bring us more listeners because the more listeners we have, the more input we have, the more relevant our podcast will be for everybody. Thank you. Cannabis Business Minds is recorded by Kristen Yoder and Simone Simaluka Radsons. Produced and edited by Gustavo Bolgach at East Venice Recording Studios. Podcast music is by Ketza. You can find more episodes of the show on our website, liv-consulting.com, and you can subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.